This sermon was recorded at the Midtown Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Good morning. Today's reading is in 1 Chronicles 16, verses 7 through 13. That can be found on page 346 in the Bibles in front of you. 1 Chronicles 16, 7 through 13. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Then on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. O give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he has uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. Let's pray. God, this morning I ask that you would manifest your presence among us. God, would you take of the things that belong to you, and would you reveal them to us? Would you show yourself to us? Would you allow us to delight in and glory in the reality of your nearness, the reality of your grace made known toward us, God, would you open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word? Would you let us see you? Let us know you. Let us delight in you and cherish you. God, I ask that you would knit our hearts to your heart. And I ask that you would knit our hearts together as a family. God, that we would be about the things that you're about that we would be governed by the things that you desire. God, would you open our hearts to see and delight in and love your ways, we ask in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Okay, so over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to be Looking at our three values together as a church, the, the things that give animation to our labors and our commitments and our uh, ministry as a spiritual family. And this is going to be a little different than what we do week to week in some ways. And the reason for this is, uh, let me just narrate a little about where we find ourselves as a spiritual family, as a church um, if you've been walking with us for some time, this won't be any news to you. This won't come as a surprise to you. But uh, if you're newer with us, uh, just to help you situate kind of where you find ourselves or where, where we are in this present season. Um, over the last several years, 
Uh, we have, in a particular way, in our church, along with uh, so many in in the world, you know, even since the beginning of 2020, we've experienced a season uh, of of enlonged testing, refining, pruning. You know, we've we've experienced some of the the fire of the Lord in our midst as we've walked through some periods of difficulty and hardship, and the Lord has pared things away and uh, restructured things and reoriented things. Where we find ourselves is in a season of rebuilding, a season of looking on the horizon and asking the Lord the question of what do you have for us? What do you have for this spiritual family and the time we find ourselves in the place where you've put us in the season that's coming, uh, where we've walked out of and what's in front of us? And so we're asking big questions about what's the future of our church and where, where are we going and what's it going to look like uh, along the way? And uh, what I want to do this morning is give uh, at the highest level that, that I'm able to what that governing vision is that I, I think the Lord is calling us into in this season. But the way that the next three weeks are intended to function for us is uh, like getting at the heart of what we love, what we value, right? Like a vision is only as powerful as the affections that we have that compel us toward it, right? So we can paint a vision of an intended or a desired future, but if that doesn't line up with what I long for and what I desire and what I love, then at some point when things are harder than we want them to be, when it takes more uh, time and energy and our expectations don't meet up with reality, when those difficulties press down upon us, what orients us or propels us or keeps us in that is our hearts being knit to that through our affections or what we value. So I want to drill in over the next couple weeks to what are the values that are going into what's on the horizon for us and bring us into that together as a corporate and spiritual family. So we're going to dive in uh, to the notes here. If you've got those, look with me at letter A. Right at the heart of all of our pursuits have to be a, a understanding of what values motivate us to action. Okay, so this is really important. I want you to catch something. Uh, oftentimes, here's like a little side note. If I highlight or bold something in the text, it means that that word I really, I really care about. I, I want you to circle it or hold on to it or think about it, right? Our values right, what we love, what we desire, what our affections are knit to, they motivate us to action, right? And we'll, we'll define that here in a minute. Intentionally defining our motivational values as a church helps us better organize our labors in consistent and specific ways over time. Letter B, we all possess a value system. We all possess a value system. Everybody has inside of them a system of values that basically tells you the answer to a couple questions. Number one, what matters? Right? What matters? What is worth giving your life to? Number two, what is success? Right? Like, if I accomplish this, I will be successful. And then third, uh, how do I participate or play in a, in a group of people or among a group of people? And we all have a value system, right? 
We all have answers to these questions. We as humans are hardwired to try to find answers to these questions. We all have longings, right? We want our lives to matter, right? We, 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 we don't want to give our lives away to worthless stuff, right? Like we don't want to do that. We are all hardwired with a desire that our labors actually matter. The things we give our life to matters, right? We're all hardwired that we want to be successful at that, right? Nobody wants to like come in second place, so to speak. Yeah, that was funny. There. <laughs> Nobody wants to give their life away and like be like, well, you know, I was second best. We can throw away a little Midwestern modesty for just a second. Like, okay. We can want to like be successful at something. That was hardwired in us. And we all want to belong. Right? We all want to belong. We all want to be a part of something. God put these longings in each and every one of us, and we are constantly striving to try to find what will answer those questions. What will give my life meaning? What will make me successful as a person? How do I live in and inhabit a community of people in a way that provides a sense of belonging and stability? We all long for those things and we all scramble around trying to answer those questions all over the place. However, a lot of times we don't give any thought to these, right? They live under the surface they give shape to our reaching and our propelled, uh, how we live in the world. They propel our actions, but we don't spend a lot of time thinking about them, right? We don't spend a, t- a lot of time defining them. Or even harder sometimes, a lot of us live in a discrepancy between our ideal values and our real values, Everybody knows what I'm talking about there, right? This is, this is everybody's desire, January 1st, to do whatever your resolution is. Read more books, get in shape, eat better, and usually by January 2nd, right, your real values come out, right? I can have ideal values all day long. But what I really give my time and energy to, that's, that's what I really value. That's what I really uh, want to pursue. Look at letter C here. Spiritual families must do work to embody a shared value system. Okay, now, this is really, really, really hard. Let me tell you why. You and I don't often do a lot of work to think through what our values are. Right, So my values are oftentimes shaped by the picture that I have of what will make me whole. I I said it this way a lot when we preached through the Sermon on the Mount. Go look at your Instagram feed. That's shaping your value system way more than you imagine. The portrait of what a successful, valuable, whole life is. If you want to do some excavation there, look at where you spend your time and your money and you will see what you value here, right? So we 
all bring these into a community together, right? We all have them. We don't think through them. And we regularly don't live in accordance with what we really want. We have this other value system that like drives us and propels us and pushes us. That's hard enough individually. Then you get a couple hundred people in a room and you try to go in one direction. What begins to happen? Well, I bring my expectations into the room. You bring your expectations into the room. We don't know how to voice them to each other. We don't know how to excavate them. We oftentimes are missing them. We butt up against them and we're, what does that create? Frustrations, disappointments, missed expectations, pain, right? When we want something and we don't get it, what happens? Our heart gets sick. The Bible tells us, right? So we have to do some work together as a spiritual family to lay these out. This is just by way of introduction. Look at letter D. As a church, I long for us to be a place where these values set the trajectory of our labors, our desires, our pursuits, what we do individually, what we do corporately, right? These values will give birth to our processes as a church, what, we're, what, what structures we put in place, the activities that we do, how we focus our labors. Said differently, these values should give birth to commitments, right? What we say yes to and what we say no to. What we do with our energies together and what we don't do with our energies together. It's my desire that our church would be more than a group of people, who believe the same things. I love that. I, I, I love that we order our life around rightly ordered doctrine. I love that. I, 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 I delight in that. But when we seek to commit to one another as a spiritual family, there's something more that has to go into it than that. In some ways, we have to love the same things as well. We have to be ordered toward the same things. So I long for this to be who we are as a church. Look at Roman numeral two, governing vision for us. So the easiest way that I think I can describe the type of church that I think God is calling us to be is with, a, with one sentence, one statement. I think God has on the horizon for Redeemer uh, to be a praying church. And I mean that very intentionally. And I want to unpack it just a minute and then we'll get to the values that go into upholding and sustaining this as a family together. But a praying church isn't just a moniker that I want to throw out there. It's not just like a, 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 an idea out there that I want to put before us. I actually want us as a people, and I think the Lord is inviting us into a season to pursue uh, uh, growing in actually praying together. Being a praying people where you take uh, the realities of church life, right? Like discipleship and mission and uh, the proclamation of the word and the sacraments and you bring them together within a spiritual family that is oriented around pursuing the face of God together. Right? This is the verse that we heard read that is the, the centerpiece of what we're doing this morning. Right, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence or his face continually. Right? Like I want this to be at the heartbeat of who we are as a family. That we are a people who are passionately committed to 
seeking the face of God together. That we ask God to make his promises known among us, his purposes known among us. That we uh, come up under his word and exalt him in the glory of who he is together. That that gives shape and life and potency to who we are. Letter B, uh, in 2010, this is uh, personally tied for me to uh, some things that I have uh, perceived the Lord uh, put on my, uh, on my plate and asked me to take steps toward uh, to lead a context seeking to bring together two movements that I, I, I think you see in the body of Christ. And I want to just say this, this isn't unique. This is like God's doing this all over the place. Uh, there is... Uh, there are lots of places where God is beginning to stir the waters of spiritual families going, hey, this is how I want you to live together. I want you, like in the book of Acts, to come in, breathe in together as a community, come up before my face, ask me to be who I promise to be, ask me to release my presence and my power among you, and then be sent out as my ambassadors and emissaries in this world to see my kingdom advance and my gospel go to the ends of the earth. And then what do they do in the book of Acts? They go right back in. They breathe, right? Which, which part of breathing is the most important? In or out? Right? The answer is both. If you do one really well, you die. If you do the other one poorly, you die, right? Which one matters the most? Yes is the answer. Would you rather be an in-breather or an out-breather? You don't want to be either at the expense of the other, right? This is what I want for us as a people, right? It takes together these movements that we're seeing in the world, right? Movements of prayer where, where God is awakening communities committed to worshiping his name and calling upon his name and giving themselves to seeking the face of God, asking him to break in with his presence and his power in and among them. And we see uh, him reactivating church planting and missions movements, movements of churches that are awakened and reoriented around the proclamation of the gospel, discipleship, multiplication, multiplying churches, seeing God's uh, uh, purposes expanded to the ends of the earth. Letter C, I think that God desires to give his people what I would call a new wineskin. That's just a, a biblical term uh, that you find in like Matthew chapter nine. When God does something new, when God is on the move, he always gives a new wineskin, right? And the wineskin just speaks of the container, the structure, the processes, the way that, that we live together. Right? You can talk about it as the forms or the, the structures that go into how we do life together. But what's really important is the work that God's at work doing. And I think he's desiring to give this. Part of the expression of this, I think, for us is to seek to build a church intentionally focused and ordered around seeing these two streams brought together. Hey, let me just ask a question. This is a side note. I don't know if I want a show of hands because sometimes people aren't 
willing to raise their hand. I have a hunch. Here's my hunch. I think the majority of the people in this room feel and have felt profoundly unsettled in the last season of life. I know this personally, I know this corporately, and I know this from talking to people, right? What I think has happened in the last three years at large is God is shaking the box. I think he wants to rebuild something. And I don't just mean here, though I do think that. I mean, I think he's calling his people into a new season, a new season in front of us. And I want us as a people to have a big bullseye in our hearts, a big yes to the Lord going, whatever you have, we want to be. Whatever you have in front of us, that's what we want to be. Whatever you have for your people, we say yes. We say yes. Look at letter D. Although most churches do agree that there is an importance of prayer in the life of the followers of Jesus and probably in the corporate body, many churches do not embody this reality through their commitments. Again, how we structure our time, resources, training, staffing, those realities. If I walked through the congregation right now with a, with a survey and said to all of us, hey, what is the number one spiritual discipline that you believe is most necessary, but you struggle with the most? I bet prayer would be the number one of 75% of the people in here. That it would be the number one among us, right? But we would all give lip service to this really matters, right? This really matters. Communing with God, coming up in agreement with who he is and what he's about and asking him to do the things that he said he would. That is front and center. It's like the heartbeat of the Christian life, communing with our savior. And I bet if we took stock of our own time and energy and how we structure our lives, it would be the thing consistently that we go, I really struggle with that. If I'm really honest, I struggle with that. And I would say, corporately, that is as us. There's so much similarity there, right? I would say, corporately, it is the same thing. I want us to change this together. I want us to orient ourselves differently here, to build ourselves on a foundation of worship and prayer as the first pursuit of our life together. The primary way we seek to establish and empower the ministry of our church. Look at page two. So the presence of God. Let's just look at First Chronicles 16 again. Verse 11. I want to drill in here. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. So the first of our motivations together as a church is the desire to be a people of God's presence. This encompasses the motivation that lies at the heart of all of our pursuits, all of our ministry, all of how we orient our resources and energy and time. 
Because of this, we desire to be intentional and consistent in pursuing God's presence as the foundational reality of our church's life together. Now, when I say this, it's easy for us often to go, uh, well, God's presence is everywhere, right? Like there's a theological truth that is right and good and certain. And the writer of Chronicles actually understood that truth as well. He's a good Torah-abiding, you know, uh, believer. He follows the Torah. He knows it really well. He knows Psalm 139, that I can't go anywhere from your presence. So why does he command the people to seek God's presence? Have you ever thought about that? Why is there a command in the scripture to seek the face of God? to seek his person, to seek him, right? Let her see, this is not just simply a theologically truth, a theological truth, but it is a reality that gives shape to how we organize real time, real uh, resources. Letter D, our ministry must be motivated from God's presence, meaning its source and toward God's presence, its goal. This is uh, this is the reality that we experience because of the gospel. We have been brought into the presence of God for, as a free gift. And we desire to pursue the experience of that in our lives in greater measures as the goal for which we were created. Look at Psalm 27 here. David outlines a focused life oriented around one desire or motivation, expressing itself in one pursuit, right? Psalm 27, four, David says, one thing I've asked of the Lord, right? If you only want one thing, what does that mean? It's your desire, right? I want one thing and I'm gonna keep asking the Lord for it over and over and over and over and over again. And he says, not only do I ask you for it and desire it, but my desire gives birth to actual seeking. It's something that I orient myself towards. I, I, I set my face to pursue it. It's not just a ethereal desire or a longing or a want. It actually orients what I do. I seek it. And what does he desire? That I may dwell in God's house all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. So what we see in this verse is that the desire of David to experience God's presence manifested itself in concrete activities. In other words, motivation affected David's life in its reality. It affects schedule, resources, commitments, right? We can also stand firm on the reality that God has promised to give to those who seek and ask and knock. This isn't a promise related to like circumstantial things in all reality. This is a promise related to knowing God and experiencing his kingdom in the world. Jesus says it this way in Luke 10, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So this is what orients who we are. Go with me to the top of page three. What I have in Roman numeral four is just a, a breakdown of different categories of God's presence that we see in the scripture. You can look at that on your own time, but essentially the Bible invites us to 
understand the presence of God in several ways. There's God's omnipresence, meaning he's everywhere at all times. There's the reality, right? Psalm 139, I can't go anywhere that you are not there. Then there's realities of God's presence with believers where he's given us his spirit and no matter where we are, his covenantal presence is with us. He, he has joined himself to us by his spirit and given us his, his spirit as a deposit, a down payment of the future reality of our ultimate and full redemption. Let her see, we also see that God is present in the gathering of his people in a unique way. Right? When, when God's people gather together, God is literally with us. Right? God right now is present among us. Jesus, our Savior, is present among us. The Holy Spirit is moving and working and present among us right in this moment as we gather together. But letter D, we see throughout the scriptures, there is a reality of God's tangible or manifest presence, right? This, this reality of experiencing the, the life of God uh, according to his grace uh, made known by his spirit. This is specific ways. Some, I, I put in scare quotes here, natural. And the reason I say natural, I mean, sometimes we don't perceive what these are, Right? Every time you experience conviction, that's God manifesting his presence, right? You didn't want to see that sin and repent of it in your own strength, right? That wasn't you that created that. That's the Holy Spirit moving in you. Every time your heart goes, yes, Lord, I want to be obedient to you. That is God manifesting his presence in a tangible way among you. Every time you're reading the word and something in the scripture comes alive to you and you see it like you've seen it for the first time, even though you've read it a thousand times and you go, oh my goodness, he is my rock. He is my refuge. God, you are a firm foundation for those who trust in you. When that truth comes alive to you, that is God manifesting his presence. You didn't make that yourself, right? So sometimes it's really natural ways, right? That we, we could easily move on and just think like, oh, I'm just like more alert today or more, more awake today, right? That's the Lord moving. Sometimes they're more dramatic, right? We do see God's movement in dramatic ways, right? The operation of the gifts of the spirit. We see, we see God uh, come near with, with uh, divine like healing uh, uh, into a situation in our souls or in our bodies, right? Like God does miraculous things. He manifests his presence in those ways. This can be experienced uh, by us as we seek to more regularly uh, pursue the means that God has put in front of us. When God has outlined, hey, come seek my face, we go, how? He goes, I've given you all manner of ways in the word, right? I've shown myself to you. I've given you my holy heart. Come to me and learn from me and seek my presence by coming to me and calling upon my name. Okay, so to do this, we need to have some form of a theology of pursuit, but I'm running short, so I'm going to go to the end. 
Look at the top of page four. This could be easily a two and a half hour sermon. But I won't do that to you. So pursuing God's presence. One of the primary means that I think that the Lord has given us. And we do see right here in this passage in Chronicles even. Is through the realities of worship and prayer. It is one of the primary means that God has given his people to seek his face or to seek his presence, right? The acts of worship and prayer, both individually and corporately, necessitate that we are a people of God's word, right? Worship is simply agreeing with who God says he is. Now, how do you agree with who God says he is? You got to know what he says about himself, right? What does God say about himself? You've got 66 books right here that are an opening up of his mind and his purposes and his thoughts and his plans. This is how we know him. So worship is taking the truth of his word and coming up into uh, agreement with that. God, you declare that you are good and your mercy endures forever. My life at this moment doesn't look like you are good and your mercy endures forever. What do I do there? Worship. How do you seek the presence of the Lord there? Agree with the truth of who he is. God, in light of my circumstances, even in spite of them, I am going to decide to agree with what you have declared to be true about yourself. Everything around me tells me that you are not good and you will not sustain me with your uh, power or your holding hand. God, you are good and your mercy endures forever. That is worship, right? And prayer is simply agreeing with what God promised that he would do, right? He says, I will pour out living water in desert places. And you go, God, you need a desert place? Here's one right here. Would you pour out your living water? Would you do what you promised to do? Would you be who you said you would be in this place even right now? Would you demonstrate your grace and uh, bring me into line with who you are and would you accomplish the things that you promised in this world, in my life, in my family, in the people around me? This is the primary way that we seek the Lord, both individually and as a spiritual family, as a spiritual family. Now, this is pretty hard, pretty hard to do. Okay, I'm going to go to the end, and then I'm going to just lay out a few ways for us to, like, step in. Look at letter E. Maintaining a culture that pursues the presence of God, pursues his face, built around worship, built around prayer, built around seeking him, will take intentional time, energy, and resource. Look at number one. It will require an intentional giving of our first fruits in our own lives. 
to building and cultivating context for regular worship and prayer, right? Our pursuit of this together must become a foundational reality as represented in schedules, pursuits, how we order and structure our time together, right? It, if it doesn't make its way into what, what finds its way on our calendar, it doesn't actually like motivate us, right? It's not a really, really a value. If, if, if you can take an audit of time and energy and resource and pursuing the face of God is not like represented there, we might want to come into alignment with, oh God, my heart is far from that. Maybe I need to be re-envisioned there. Maybe you need to show me your face there. Maybe you need to invite me into responding in these ways. But it will require this. But also it will require consistent repurposing, re-envisioning, instruction, patience, faithfulness over seasons that appear to be unsuccessful or difficult. I've told uh, a couple different contexts of people you know, we started this prayer meeting um, on Wednesday nights, I don't know, six, eight weeks ago, something like that. It's been a real fun time. I've really enjoyed it. We've had, we've had a handful of people, and I said, here's, here's what's going to happen, because this is kind of what happens anytime you step towards this among a group of people. We'll have, you know, 20, 30 people show up for a week, two weeks, three weeks, something like that. Six months from now, there will be four people there. Because here's, here's all the reasons why. Number one, sustaining, pursuing the presence of God is really hard. It cuts against a lot of the grain of our intrinsic value systems that we have, right? We all want results. We all want successful, like, Uh, promoting, being able to say like, this is what's accomplished by the works of our hands, right? To show up in a room and to open our Bibles and to talk to the Lord. And then we walk out of the room and we go, did anything happen? Requires faith, right? You have to believe that God is who he says he is and that he will do the things that he promised that he will, even when we can't see it, right? Sustaining that over time is hard. It requires a lot of repurposing, refocusing, retooling, okay? So we, it's going to require some intentional times where we talk through this stuff, refocus our energies, remind ourselves this is who we are and what we're about. This is where we're going. Okay, let me, let me give you three ways to engage in this season as we seek to step into this. Number one is right there. Every Wednesday night, we gather from 6.30 to about 7.30, 8 o'clock in the chapel downstairs to pray as a family, to ask God to release his purposes in our church and in our city. Now, I want to say this, and I'm not like, um, I'm not being hyperbolic here. That is the most important meeting of my week. That takes primary place on my calendar, which means there are things that I say no to 
and yes to and order things around in order to show up and do it when it's hard and I don't want to be there. I want to ask you, if you can, right now, start coming on Wednesdays. Start showing up. Like come in, sit in the back row and open your Bible and just participate. Take a step in. It'll be, uh, it'll be really beautiful, I believe, for you to come and jump in in that way. Um, let me see here. If you can, start coming. What am I trying to say here? Yes. Hey, if it's difficult for you in this season, here's what I want to ask. Would you start beginning to ask the question, could I move things around to be a part of that this fall? Here's the thing about things that matter. We're willing to move a lot of things around to make them happen. I was thinking about it this morning. This is really, this is really uh, it's a silly one. But think about people that love to tailgate for Chiefs games. If you love to tailgate for Chiefs games, it's okay. Um, hey, what you do on that Sunday is not the only time you're thinking about that. Right? People that tailgate and really get into it, they orient a lot of the other parts of their week around that. Right? They move things around. They, like, they, they have their stuff all packed up like Friday night, ready to go. Right? There, there, there's, there's a lot of energy that goes in outside of that to making that happen. And I want to invite us as a family. Like, this is, I think, going to be really important to us as a people. And I want to ask, like, as you look down the horizon... Would you begin to even just ask the question, what in my life could I move around a little bit to like come and link arms with, with my family to ask God to do the things that he said he longs to do, that we would orient ourselves that way. That's number one. Number two, I, 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 uh, I have like a real burden for and I'm looking for all sorts of places to help strengthen um, like our Sunday mornings, how we, how we gather together, how we engage. Um, but Sunday mornings are a unbelievably important place where we practice this together, where we learn this together, where we inhabit this together. Now, you're all here, so I'm not, I'm not like trying to go, make sure you make this important. You're here. There you go. Good job. Let me, let me say this though. This one might hurt. Hey, get here on time. Get here on time. We do this together from the call to worship till the time we end. Like this is about the family of God coming together and honoring the Lord for who he is, reminding ourselves and one another, this is who we worship. This is who we have uh, said yes to. This is who our lives are centered around. 
We want to sing his praises and pray prayers to him and call upon his name and hear from his word and partake of the sacraments together. Like we want to do all of that together as a spiritual family saying this is uh, what you've called us to. We come out of the world for a little bit. We gather together. We come up under the King Jesus. We exalt him and adore him and worship him. He, the word says that he gets, he is enthroned on the praises of his people, right? We, we come up under him as his people and say, this is who you are. Let our worship ascend to you like a fragrance. And would you exalt yourself in our midst? Let, this, let Sundays affect your weekend. Let it affect your whole weekend. What you do on Saturday nights. What you don't do on Saturday nights. Hey, and the last thing, last thing. Open your mouth. Uh, and what I mean by that is sing loud. Sing loud. When we pray, pray loud. Like engage your whole being with these truths. Like we are called by God to seek his face and he's given us ways to do it. He says, give thanks to the Lord. Give honor to his name. Rejoice. Give praise. Clap your hands. Dance. Hey, some people dance. Please, please. Uh, I would love it. You might go, we need to play some different music. Okay, uh, I'll give you that. But like, let's come together as the people of God going, we are here to seek his power and his presence continually. This is what I'm here for. I'm here to give thanks to the Lord, to honor his name, to exalt him, to shout praises, to clap my hands, to lift up my song, to engage all of my being with the one who has given all that I might come into his presence. That's what we long to do. Amen. I'm going to end there. Would you stand with me? So the worship team comes up. respond to the Lord this morning by coming to the table and rejoicing in the Lord together, singing his praises. I'm going to pray for us. And when I'm done praying, we'll, uh, we'll come and receive from the table of the Lord. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread and broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And likewise, he took a cup after dinner and he blessed it and he passed it and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take it and drink from it. And if you're in this room and you put your faith in Jesus, uh, we want to invite you to come and take communion with us. The way we take communion at Redeemer is you tear a piece of the bread off and dip it into the cup. We'll have wine in the stoneware, juice in the glassware. Servers will be in the front, in the middle, both sides of the balcony, and we'll have a gluten-free station to my right over here. If you're in the room this morning and you don't put your faith in Jesus, we want to ask you not to come and take this meal with us. This meal signifies a reality. It signifies something that you're putting your faith and trust in. The meal doesn't like afford you anything before God. 
It doesn't make you right before him. It doesn't bring you into his presence. And so uh, if, if you're in the room and you don't put your faith in him, we want to just ask you to stay where you are. We're really glad you're here. This is uh, a place where you don't have to like pretend or perform. Uh, so uh, we just invite you to stay in your seat. The rest of you can come and receive with joy and gladness. I'm going to pray for us. Servers, you're welcome to come forward and we'll respond to the Lord in these ways. God, thank you that you have made a way for us in Christ Jesus. God, we come boldly into your presence and ask that you would meet with us. God, as we sing, would you inhabit our praises? As we come to the table, would you feed us by faith? God, as we minister to one another in the place of prayer, would you manifest your grace among us? Would you empower us to walk in your ways? Would you reveal yourself to us more? Would you sustain us and nourish us and feed us with yourself? God, that we might, that we might be aligned with you, that we might delight in you, that we might be filled in you. God, we look to you and you alone. It's in your name we pray. Amen.